0: The sadness and brokenness of our lives and world is all too real. Sometimes it feels as if every day something new falls apart. What are we supposed to do? God's grand plan from the beginning of creation is for His beloved children to bless the world, to be present as He is present, to be faithful as He is faithful to His promises committed not to ourselves, but to a world worth saving. Grab your Bibles and turn in them to Genesis chapter 12 and a few verses from chapter 18. And before we read, let's uh, pray together. Gracious God, you have fed us by your body, you have nourished us by your blood. We have prayed, we have sung, we have given back to you a portion of what you have given to us. And we come now to listen to your word, and we believe that you will speak to us through it by the power and the grace of your spirit. So open us up and make us aware of your Spirit's movement in our hearts and lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Most of us are aware that good coaching is about making adjustments. So typically in a game, you have a quarter or a period or you have a half, and as the game unfolds, uh, we're watching for how things are going, where things might need to be changed or adjusted, and good coaches are able to take what they see and then change things along the way to respond to what the opposition is giving them. The same experience can be found in business. When we look at our economy, those businesses which make small adjustments to how the economy is changing, how the workforce is changing, how uh, people are moving or not moving, how advertisements work, uh, the, the businesses that make the most and the best adjustments are the ones that flourish. Unfortunately, what happens for you and I as Christians is that sometimes we imagine this is how God worked or how God works. That at the beginning in creation, everything was perfect. Everything was very good. That God had plan A and it was wonderful. And then people messed it up. And God, even though we would probably never say this, we sort of have this idea that God is like, ah, shoot. Let's try plan B, which is kind of more of plan A, just outside the garden. And of course, plan B goes horribly wrong. Right, we get to Genesis chapter 6, and we see that the inclination of every human heart is wickedness all the time. And so God is sitting thinking, ah, oh, this is not working at all. Uh, Gabriel, do you have any ideas? Uh, you know, well, let's try a flood. Oh, flood, that's a good idea. Let's start over again. So God goes to plan C. And then we watch as history keeps unfolding in plan D. And all of the judges are like a new plan that God has. And then the kings. And we, even though, again, we don't necessarily say this, there's something that within us sort of has this idea that God is, he kind of knows what he's doing. But really, Jesus was this Hail Mary pass at the end, like nothing else has worked. If this doesn't work, we're in trouble. Again, no one is going to say this in church. We're not going to talk about this in the fellowship hall. We're not going to talk about this around our our tables at coffee time or in the coffee shops or when we're out for dinner. But but if we're really honest, the way this expresses itself is that we look around the world and we think, does God really know what he's doing? Does God really know how bad things are right now. And if he doesn't, he probably should. And if he does, he should do something about it. And that, of course, sets us up with a a sense somehow that God really isn't working out one plan that he's been working out from the beginning, that God is a little bit like us, kind of flying by the seat of our pants, doesn't really know what's going on, making adjustments along the way. He just happens to be making the best God adjustments of anybody else. And yet that's not the story of the Bible at all. The story of the Bible from the very beginning is that God has had one plan, that God from the beginning of time has created a world to point people beyond it to himself. That in seeing the beauty of the glory of the heavens, our hearts would not stop and say, wow, the sky is amazing, but isn't the one who created this magnificent and when we cut into a steak right off the grill and it tastes amazing and the mashed potatoes and the steak and the grilled green beans all come together and we, it's so good we want to like combine it and taste parts of all of it, our taste buds scream out to us not, isn't this steak amazing, but isn't the one who made it Remarkable. And he creates you and I as image bearers who reflect him to those around us. And he says to the man and the woman at the beginning, I want you to care for the world in a way that reflects my care for it. And I want you to not just stay in one place, but I want you to fill the earth so that everyone everywhere will know that I love the world, that I have a desire to be in fellowship with it. That plan does not change. And in fact, if we say it this way, Jesus Christ, the Savior, is an image bearer, fully human. God's plan from the beginning, and we see the fulfillment of that in Jesus, is for his image bearers to be the light in a dark world pointing to their creator. And our text this morning, the call of Abraham, helps to solidify that God is not on plan D, E, or F. This is what God has been doing from the beginning. And that call frees us up as Christ followers in 2021 in two very significant ways. So let's read. We'll start with Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, also known as Abraham, later on, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I, the Lord God, will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And then we have one text from Genesis chapter 18 where we hear very familiar words uh, that reflect these words. 18 and 19 of Genesis chapter 18. The Lord says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. God from the beginning has a desire to bless the world, to make it a very good place where people can enjoy it, where his creatures can enjoy it, and where the whole earth will be filled with his glory. And in the book or in the very first chapter of Genesis, if I can get this to work, there we go. There are three special places where blessing occurs, where the author makes clear that creation is about blessing. God blesses the creatures. God blesses the man and the woman. God blesses the seventh day and rests, flourishing in all of its goodness. Creation is about God blessing. And then in chapter 3 and 4, we watch as the human race undercuts that, undermines it, Uh, corrupts, distorts, pollutes, distorts. God's plan to bless the world hasn't changed, but human sin gets in the way and the curse begins. And of course, chapter three, we've got the curse of the snake. We've got the curse of uh, the ground producing weeds. We've got the curse of Cain who will wander the earth and feel never at home. And we can understand that curse of sometimes never feeling quite at home. But notice that the curse and the blessing sort of play off of each other as the story of the human history unfolds, that there is both blessing and curse as God continues to move in history until we see what happens with Abraham. When we read in chapter 12, God coming to Abraham, a man we don't really know who lives in this faraway city that God says to move, God says something fascinating. He says, I will make you into a great nation. You don't have to make yourself into a great nation. I'll take care of it. I will bless you. I will make your name great. The previous chapter, the Tower of Babel, the people wanted to make their own name great. Now God says... I've got it. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and you will be a blessing. It is almost as if Abraham cannot help to bless people. And if we pulled back 10,000 feet, we don't have a ton of time this morning to do this, but if we just walked through the life of Abraham and his descendants, we would see over and over and over again that just by being Abraham, just by being Isaac, his son, just by being Jacob, his grandson, just by being Joseph, a descendant of Abraham, just by being part of the family of God, the blessing of God ripples got a few examples here. In Genesis chapter 26, Isaac plants, the son of Abraham, plants crops. They come back a hundredfold. Notice why the Lord blessed him. In the very same chapter, Isaac is trying to settle down because this is good farmland, and so he wants to put a well in the ground so they have water and can stay. But notice that the wells keep getting stolen, and yet God keeps allowing him to find water. Water and giving him room. And this becomes so apparent to the people that Isaac is dealing with in chapter 26 that they eventually come to Isaac and they say, We can see that God is blessing you. We can see that God is having an impact on how you are living out, and we don't want to have cause any trouble with you. Let's be friends. Let's make a treaty. In chapter 30, Jacob is living uh, at his father-in-law Laban's house. And Laban can see, right? I found by divination, not by prayer and petition, but by worldly methods that God has blessed, not Jacob, but Laban because of Jacob. In Exodus Pharaoh has just lost his firstborn son. The Israelites are going to leave the country and yet Pharaoh gets the fact that only that success is only apparent through the blessing of the Lord God. And over and over we see this in the life of Abraham and his family. And so there are two things to note here. The first is that second part of verse 2. You will be a blessing. Sometimes as Christians, we imagine that God only uses the all-star Christians to be a blessing. Maybe it's the pastors or the elders or the rock stars who have figured out their faith, have no doubts, have no wonderings, that God uses them and them alone to be a blessing. But what God says to Abraham here and what God says to us is that you will be a blessing even when you're not trying. Because I will be your God. Now that's a remarkable thing to think, to know, to live out. It doesn't mean that we try to be ordinary, but it also means that we don't stress every single moment of every single day to try to be extraordinary. So in that way, bless the world. God says to us, whether we are working, whether we are home, whether we are volunteering, whether we are in our rest home, whether we are confined or traveling, wherever and however, you will be a blessing. I will use you to be a blessing. That is a freeing truth that God is using us however we are and wherever we are. And the second truth is that we don't have to go out of our way to ensure that the world sees that. Notice the very next phrase, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Sometimes we imagine in the Christian faith, we have to defend ourselves, we have to stand up for ourselves, that when people come after us, if we're not obviously a blessing, we've got to go out of our way to make sure that everybody knows it. And so we spend more time defending the church. We spend more time defending the Christian faith. We spend more time on our, our name than on simply being a blessing. And God says to the Christian church of 2021, wherever you are slandered in the public square, if you are being cursed, I'll take care of it. you continue to be a blessing. Which for some of us is a corrective because we spend far too much time defending what we imagine to be God's name when in effect he says, you're going to be a blessing wherever you are. The defense of my name, I'll take care of it. Those who curse you, I will curse. And those who bless you, who speak well of you, I will bless. And so in many ways, the challenge for us this morning as we look at these verses and as we follow along in the history of God and his people is the question, at your place of work, are you a blessing? If you were to suddenly step out of that setting, would anyone notice Would anyone wonder, would the feel of the place of work suddenly shift because you're no longer there? How about in your classroom? If you were suddenly put in a different class, same grade, would your class notice? Would the way we carry ourselves as the people of God, is the way that God is living out through us? Blessing. And if not, we might ask ourselves if we are more concerned with the defense of our own good name or with being a blessing. Let's pray. Gracious God, forgive us when we are more concerned with our own reputation or our own integrity because you have been defending your people down through the ages. You even told your disciples when they were talking about the last days, there's going to be times when you're dragged before the judges and the courts, and don't worry, I'll tell you what to say. But sometimes we struggle as Christians in this country to know how best to be a blessing. When we see the situation around us not being what we wish, and maybe not even going the way that we'd like it to go. May we remember that this has been your plan from the beginning, to use your people to bless the world. To trash. To host food. To write letters to inmates. To mentor students. Provide food. To send cards. To take people out for lunch. To bring them coffee. To check on our neighbors when we haven't seen the lights on or the shades open. In small ways, O God, to bless those who bear your likeness. And God, may we be known as a church that reflects you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.